You are listening to the Atlanta Real Estate Forum radio show, all about real estate edition. Shining a light on the movers and shakers in the real estate industry. The home builders, developers, realtors, and suppliers making it all happen. Good morning, and welcome back to Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio's All About Real Estate Edition. I'm your host, Carol Morgan, and I'd like to recognize our show sponsor, Denim Marketing. At Denim Marketing, we work to make your marketing a comfortable fit. So give us a call if you need original content for social media, public relations, marketing campaigns, or blogs. Well, today I am pleased to welcome our next legend of real estate to the show. We are fortunate to be joined by Harold Cunliffe, Vice President of the Pacific Group, a company that has developed over 300 residential and commercial properties comprising in excess of 25,000 housing units in the Atlanta market. Pretty impressive stats there. So welcome to the show, Harold, and jump in and let's just talk about how you got started in the real estate business. Morning, Carol. Morning. Well, um, many, many, many years ago, I graduated as a civil engineer from the University of British Columbia. And from there, I went to work for a number of construction companies. These construction companies had clients. The clients happened to be real estate developers. And so these guys would roll into the office with big gold rings and Rolex watches and their Mercedes <laughs> Benzes. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it struck me that they didn't really work very hard <laughs> and that they made a lot of money <laughs> and that they weren't very smart. <laughs> and so I thought, well, maybe what I can do is maybe I can become a real estate developer and get my own Mercedes Benz. So... I had a little bit of money saved up. And so I went out and I bought a piece of property and thought, well, this, this is easy. I'll just run it through the process and get my Mercedes Benz. Well, it turns out that at that point, I learned about zoning, uh, conforming with development regulations, and a whole other number of things that really, quite frankly, caught me by surprise. And I figured out that the real estate business wasn't that simple after all. <laughs> and that these guys who were doing it were a lot cleverer than I was. But this was up in British Columbia in the early 80s. And at that point, there was a commodities boom going on. And so the market was flooded with cash. And so it was pretty easy for me to stumble in to this particular real estate deal, pull it off and make a bunch of money. And as I was doing this, I was also working for uh, a construction company where the boss was my mentor. He was actually helping me go through this deal on my own. And uh, as the deal came together, I had to do a bunch of things. I had to involve other people and buy additional land and all that sort of thing. And by fortune, there was an adjoining developer who brought sewer up to my property. And that allowed me to go from one unit per acre to two units per acre. Oh, yeah. Which was a huge windfall. And in the meantime, lot values were increasing. In hindsight, they were increasing at $1,000 a week. So the lots that I planned on selling at $30,000, when I went through the process, which took about a year, it turned out they were worth $80,000. Wow. And so this was an enormous hit. 
And so when I went to my mentor, my boss, and showed him the deal and said, what's wrong with this? He said, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. You're going to make some money mm-hmm. and you're fired. <laughs> there you go. So he mentored you so well, he fired you, huh? That's right. Yeah. So at that point, I had no no job, no right. income. And so I was basically forced to um, complete this real estate project while I was looking for another job. And, you know, then the commodity market collapsed. There was no jobs. <laughs> and a couple of years later, I was broke again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how did you end up in Atlanta from Canada? My partner and my partner in the Pacific Group is a fellow that I went to university with, fellow civil engineer, Mike Kilgallen. And we were in business together in Canada and went broke together. And so he was clever enough to get a real job. Ah. And he got a real job with a Canadian developer down in uh, Los Angeles. And In Los Angeles, he ran into some partners out of Texas who had access to SNL money. And so they said to Mike, we want you to come and open an office in Atlanta. So as soon as Mike got to Atlanta, he called me up and he said, hey, you got to get down here because there's a lot of low hanging fruit (laughs) in Atlanta. And at that time, Atlanta had created the previous year had created a hundred thousand jobs. And I knew by some rudimentary mathematics that that should equate to about 60,000 housing starts. Mm -hmm. But at that point, Atlanta was only doing 20,000. So there was a big lack of supply and a big demand. Just like there is now. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, I, I looked around and put a piece of property under contract up in Roswell. We bought 200 acres at $12,000 per acre, which is unheard of at this point. Right. And it it was just like I was starting over again. Uh, So I came down to Georgia, got a green card by meeting and marrying an American woman. There you go. And then Mike and I, shortly after that, the SNL crisis occurred. Mike's Texas partners went under. But it was good timing because by that time I had formed the Pacific Group. And so Mike and I just picked up the pieces and moved on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talk a little bit about, you know, the the success or not success. I know you, so you've been developing since the 80s, you know, talk about kind of that first, you know, 20 years in business. Well, the the analogy that I like to make is that you've got to get into the water and start swimming. And the trick for the first part of your career as a real estate developer, I think, is to just keep your nose above water. And as long as you can get involved in a lot of things, and as long as you can get positioned properly, and as long as you can learn, that's got to be a real important thing. Because as a civil engineer, I had really no experience in financing or marketing or sales or anything like that. And so those are things that I sort of had to pick up as I went along. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the analogy I make is, you know, when you decide to become a real estate developer, you've got to get in the boat, you've got to row out into the ocean, and then you just got to jump overboard. (laughs) Try and keep your head above water for as long as you can. Yeah. 
as the tide comes up and down and in and out, you'll go up and down and in and out. But occasionally, maybe once or twice per career, there's going to be a really, really low tide. And you're going to get down there and be able to pick up all the treasure lying ah. on the floor of the ocean. And then all you got to do is pick it all up, get to shore as fast as possible, and then don't go back in the water when it's high tide again, because you're going to lose all your treasure. Right. And that's what happened to me at least three times. Well, let's talk a little bit about those. I imagine that one of those is at the end of the Great Recession. Uh, yes. Uh, I'll go back a little you bit. You want to go back a little further? Well, I, you know, not, at some point in here, you have to tell me where you got your Mercedes in this process <laughs> or your Rolex or any of the bling. I haven't got it yet. <laughs> I'm still working. Matter of fact, I'm still looking for a job, a okay. real job. You're still looking yeah. for a real job? All right. Yeah. We'll figure out how that works out for you. Right. Well, one of the things that we sort of figured out is that you've got to be opportunistic. And so after a little bit of operating in the Southeast, in Atlanta, in metropolitan Atlanta, we were approached by a developer, a partner out of Texas. And he his claim to fame is that he had access to SNL money, savings and loan money. Right. And so he came to us and he said, look, I'll borrow all the money. You line up the deals and do the deals and we'll split it 50-50. So uh, this worked well for about three or four years until the SNLs ran out of money. And we found out that our financial partner had a lot less money than we did. Oops. <laughs> Oops. But by that time, the Resolution Trust Corporation had taken over and we're looking for people to be able to complete these projects and get as much money back into the FDIC. Yeah. When was this, like early 80s? No, this was about, this was 1992. This was 1992. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the Resolution Trust Corporation, through their managers, came to us and said, look, we got these real estate projects all over the place and you guys are not discredited borrowers. So could you step up and take over all these projects and finish them for us? And so Mike and I entered into a, a forbearance agreement with the Resolution Trust Corporation. And in very basic terms, uh, we agreed that we would pay them off with a certain amount of money and over a certain period, three years. And during that time, we would develop and operate the projects and sell them and all that kind of stuff and reduce the debt. And whatever was left over at the end of it was ours. Well, it turned out that um, the Resolution Trust Corporation had some really high-powered attorneys, and they put together a forbearance agreement that was probably um, six or eight inches thick. Wow. And I didn't understand what was in the forbearance agreement, but we thought, you know, let's just go ahead with this because we're well positioned, you know, puts us in a pretty good position and we can work through it. Well, after about a year, I came to the realization that we were very, very close to paying off the Resolution Trust Corporation. And that at the end of that, we'd have a whole bunch of land left over, mm -hmm. you know, a small fortune in land. And so, um, and this, this leads to kind of a funny story so what we decided to do was cobble all of our money together. And, and I mean, 
all of our money mm. and arrange some simultaneous closings and that sort of thing and close out and pay off the Resolution Trust Corporation. Wow. Because I was I was convinced that I didn't know what was in this forbearance agreement. And if the RTC ever found out how much money was left over, then there might be something in there that would trigger a default, which would take all the land back. Take us yeah. take, take all the land back. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So we went to that. We arranged for the closings and we went to the closing with a stack of, of money, money orders, checks, uh, other closings. It was just a nightmare. So the closing took us uh, a whole day to get this thing done. And and I'll just add that we had completely exhausted all of our resources and all of our cash. But after the closing, we got in the car and decided to drive back to the office. And um, on the way back, I said to my partner, Mike, I said, you know, uh, it's hard to believe, Mike, but we've just made several million dollars. Mike said, yeah, you know, I think what we better do is we better at least go and have a drink. <laughs> so we were driving up the connector and uh, we, we came to Piedmont Road and we thought, well, gee, you know, isn't this where the gold club is? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and neither of us had ever been to the gold club before, but we thought, well, you know what? Let's go there for a drink. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so as we pulled in, I said to Mike, I said, you know, how much money have you got in your wallet? And he said, I got about 10 bucks. <laughs> And I checked my wallet. I had about five. <laughs> so when we pulled up to the valet station, we said, you know, how much is it going to cost us to valet? And they said, well, it'd be 10 bucks. And we said, okay, we'll park in the back. Uh-huh. So we went and parked in the back, had enough money to get into the gold club, buy one beer, pay for no table dances. <laughs> <laughs> And they kicked us out. (laughs) Well, there you go. So after that closing, we were back to being insolvent again after our visit to the gold club. And clearly you still don't have your Mercedes at this point. (laughs) No, no, we don't. Oh, my goodness. So then, you know, basically we treaded water for another few more years and sold off the property and swore that we would never be dumb enough to sign a personal guarantee. Which which actually lasted about five years. Wow. Until some other real opportunities came up in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, you know what? We're, we're smart enough and we've been around the real estate development long enough. We ought to go and borrow some money again. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, you know, we don't mind about signing personal guarantees either. So that led to, you know, 2007. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we all of a sudden discovered that um, having debt was not that great a thing. Right. <laughs> Again. Yeah. Again. Crafting the perfect marketing strategy is like constructing the perfect pair of jeans. You need all the right components and expertise. Unlike trying on a dressing room full of jeans, denim marketing makes the process painless and easy. Denim marketing is the market leader in creating quality original content for home builders, developers, remodelers, and others in the industry. Call 770 383 
888-888-3360 or email carol at denimmarketing.com to find out how Denim Marketing can be a comfortable fit for your social media, public relations, marketing campaigns, email marketing, blogs, and other marketing needs. So talk about the Great Recession and kind of how you developed through it and what opportunities there were and what some of the downfalls were. How did that go? Well, I'll tell you how I knew that we were, that we as an industry were in trouble. Yeah. We were developing a project up in Roswell. It was a really cool project. We had 95 units. The builder was Monty Hewitt Homes. And we had a hundred people sign up to pre-purchase homes. And so we decided what we'd do is open up the sales office, time it so the sales office would open on March 17th, 2007. I remember it was St. Patrick's Day. And so I said to the real estate agents, I said, I'm not gonna bother coming by for the grand opening of this project. I'm not gonna come by during the the high period. I'm gonna wait until about five o'clock at night, come by and see how things went. So uh, five o'clock, I rolled in and there was nobody in the parking lot. So I went into the sales office and said, how'd it go? And they said, well, a couple of people showed up, but that was it. (laughs) And so at that point, I knew that we were in trouble. Yeah. And then basically for the next five years, we worked our way out of personal guarantees, out of our loans and personal guarantees. And um, the conclusion that I came to about halfway through is that the banks were under a lot more pressure than we were. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll say we tried to do the right thing with our lenders. Um, So we went back to them and we said, look, here's how we're going to work this thing out. Here's how we're going to get you paid off. And, And and that worked out in every case except for one. But that was a small amount of money that we were able to resolve. And at the same time, about like I was saying, about halfway through this, I realized that we had a lot more money and a lot more leverage than the banks did. And about this time, uh, the banks had started to foreclose on properties and take them back as REO, real estate owned. Yeah. And started to advertise these packages for sale. So we had set aside a certain amount of money. And we were able to cobble together partnerships and deals with other people and that sort of thing. And um, we started bidding on these real estate packages. And one of our strengths is that we were able to actually perform and close on them. So at the end of the day, after about five years, we had managed to buy approximately 10,000 develop lots in the metropolitan Atlanta area. And then it just became a a question of reducing cost so that we could carry them until the time the market improved. So uh, we went from being a real estate developer to a real estate speculator Mm -hmm. uh, within, you know, within a really short period of time. And that turned out to be one of the times where the tide was really, really, really low. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you got <laughs> and, to hold on to all that land for a really long time. Well, yes, we got to hold on to it for, well, actually, some of it we started selling immediately. 
to generate cash flow, right. to pay off real estate taxes and uh, pay for erosion control and that sort of thing. But for the most part, what we did is we held it. Mm-hmm. And we held it sort of for five to 10 years. And in the meantime, the value of lots had increased dramatically. Right. So at that point, I decided that I was going to pick up all my winnings, <laughs> swim to shore as fast as I could, <laughs> and not go back in the water again. Right. <laughs> was, was what I did. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really unusual time. Absolutely. So I imagine with us, you know, rolling forward to now it being 2022, all of those lots from the Great Recession that you bought as the Pacific Group are are sold and homes on them, or do you all still have some of that in your portfolio? Well, of the 10,000, we have eight left. Wow. And these are truly unbuildable lots. Uh, But nevertheless, I have them under contract, and it was supposed to close four days ago. Uh Uh-huh. Very good. Hasn't closed yet. Hasn't closed yet. Interesting. That's all that we have left. Eight. Like eight. I can count them on 10 fingers. That's that's amazing. Yep. Yes. And now now that I go back through all these developments, they are finished, built, occupied. Yeah. Something I'd never, never thought I'd see in my lifetime. Yeah. But it sure didn't take long for them to get gobbled up and sold. And it looks like you've seen this again. And I guess they say history repeats itself. So let's fast forward to today where we see large nationals walking away from deals. I mean, are you guys or is is the Pacific Group starting to what I would call land bank again, preparing for the future? Or or what do you see? Well, we think there's a change occurring. Mm -hmm. And again, we're positioned differently now. We have no debt. And we believe that we're in a position to carry land through to the next cycle. But we really don't have very much land. Right. I know our our company, the Pacific Group, has strayed away from residential deals, or at least when we do residential deals, we do them in concert with the nationals, the national Mm -hmm. builder. And the national builder will take a lot of the risk out of the deal for us. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. But then we've, again, we've strayed away from that and done a number of uh, warehouse distribution deals down on the south side of town, in particular in Henry County. Right. And the uh, the folks like Amazon and Walmart and all that kind of stuff have basically taken the risk out of the deals for us again. So we, we seem to be on a fairly conservative course. Right. And the other thing I'll add is that starting in about about 2015, I really did decide to get out of the business and have slowly moved out of the business. Now, fortunately, my son started to work for the Pacific Group about 20 years ago, and he has moved in and taken my position. So now my son and my college roommate... <laughs> run the Pacific Group. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, talk a little bit about your involvement with the Greater Atlanta Home Builders Association and how that played into your career. Yes, I I joined up almost immediately upon arriving in Atlanta in what would it be 1984 or five and didn't participate much until I got a call from one of my real estate partners, Tim Jones. And Tim said, Harold, 
I'm going to recommend that you get on the ladder mm. and work toward becoming president of the association. And um, I was the president, I think, in 2001 and 2002. So over the years, I got to know a number of builders and developers through the association. And the thing that struck me, has struck me, about doing business with these people is they're all honorable. And when you shake somebody's hand and make a deal, then you really just paper it so you can remember what you've done. Mm -hmm. And that's not my experience in other states, you know. Oh, interesting. Yes. So a lot of it is is the relationships that you develop through the Home Builders Association. And uh, that is that has really served me well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with your son at the helm of the Pacific Group, that's got to be very exciting for you. Um, what do you see for them for the future and any advice for him? <laughs> well, I guess my advice would be tune in on December the 7th and listen to what your old dad has said. Um, I, I really don't know their business, the business of the Pacific Group anymore. And, and, and that's kind of good because the company has always been really flexible mm -hmm. and we've been able to pivot fast and so the things that they're doing now, like, for example, the warehouse distribution deals in Henry County, I would have never dreamed of doing those. But they were able to figure it out and put the deals together and do well. Right. So it's really hard for me to predict. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Next. Yeah. yeah. And over the years, we've been money partners. You know, we provided the money to people to do deals and we lent money and then we've developed on our own and we borrowed money. Right. <laughs> and of course we, we're doing deals cash now yeah. and we built houses too. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things where we've had to pivot because um, whenever there's been a downturn, we've been left with lots that are mm -hmm. undeveloped and unsaleable. And so in order to pay off our debt and get rid of the projects and all that kind of stuff, we've been forced to build houses. And so over the years, I think, I think we've built maybe 30 or 40 houses or something. Like that. <laughs> and I've kept track of this statistic. We've lost $10,000 per house. That we've wow. Built. <laughs> so so I you're have, a better developer than a builder. <laughs> oh, yes. I have great respect for my, for the builders. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's right. Oh, that's funny. Well, this is probably not a fair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you have a favorite development that you've you know worked on over the years or, or a couple of them? I guess I do. And just a couple of months ago, I got a telephone call from a lady who was one of the first residents in one of our communities. And the community was called uh, Emory Park Manor. Emory Park Manor. Yes. And what happened was there was a piece of property over there that where, where there was about 30 or 40 houses and somebody had gone ahead and done the assembly, but then DeKalb County put a zoning on it that was basically unfeasible, unworkable. 
And so they came to me and said, look, if you can propose something that we can go back to DeKalb County with, we'll sell you the property. And so I came up with, I would say it was a pedestrian-friendly development. And it was really kind of a complicated deal. And um, anyway, we went through the zoning and we developed it. And it was an enormous success financially for us and sales for us. And the builders in there, by the way, were John Willis and Monty Hewitt. Anyway, a couple of months ago, I got a call from one of the first residents. And she said, we've, we've now been in the community for 20 years and we're having a 20-year reunion or celebration of the community. Would you like to join? Oh, that's cool. So that was very nice for her to ask. And now, unfortunately, I was overseas, so I right. wasn't able to join in. But one of the other things about this is that there was a fella who worked in for the Greater Atlanta Home Builders Association, Jeff Rader. And Jeff called me up and said, hey, this looks like a pretty neat development. Would you consent to applying for uh, to the Atlanta Regional Commission ah. as one of the projects of excellence. Uh-huh. And so we went ahead and went through the application and all that sort of thing. And by gosh, we won. Anyway, we got this award. And um, a couple of months ago, I handed it over to the community. Oh, that's neat. And so now it's part of their archives. Oh, I yeah. love that. Well, you know, that was innovation, you know. I think that that developers and builders and you know, business owners who can innovate succeed. So you helped DeKalb County to see a different way. Yes. And um, we did a, a whole bunch of things in there that were completely contrary to good development mm-hmm. practices. Like, for example, if you get in the community now and race down one of the roads, uh, you have a big problem doing it because there are traffic islands mm-hmm. and they're not positioned very well at all for cars and they're planted up. So what you have to do is you've got to navigate your way around these things. Mm-hmm. And so it slows the traffic down. And uh, and we decided also to design it so that there would be zones. So there's a, a zone for cars that's called mm-hmm. the street. And then a big beauty strip that's planted up. I think it's eight feet wide planted with street trees. And then on the outside of that is a sidewalk. And so the the beauty strip and the trees separate the pedestrians from the cars. And then with Monty Hewitt Homes and John Willis Homes, when they designed the houses, they designed them to be all eyes on the street. Mm -hmm. And so there was a semi-private area of the front yard. And then you lift up onto the porch and that's the private part of the house where people can actually sit and watch the pedestrians and watch the street. And so it became a really popular uh, and safe development. Yeah. And I think I think in there, I, I recall now that we did we did about 85 single family houses and I think about 50 or 60 townhouses. So it's a fairly big development. It's right next to Mason Mill Park. Oh, great location. Yeah, yeah. Turned out to be a really good location. 
That's fantastic. That's really cool. I could use some of that traffic control on my street. I need to get you out here to fix the problems out here. Well, do you have advice for anyone interested in getting into the real estate development industry? Well, I think I do. And I probably alluded to this a little bit earlier. But I would say that you've got to have a bit of a foundation, a bit of a background. Mm -hmm. So for me, that happened to be civil engineering, and that allowed me to understand development. But equally important is finance Mm -hmm. or sales or marketing. So I would say that the first thing that an aspiring real estate developer or builder should do is become educated in one of those, or, or more better, one of those facets of the development business. And then you've basically just got to get in and do it and hope (laughs) you can pick up these other skills before you go broke. (laughs) (laughs) And again, I'll, I'll go back to the, to the beginning of my career when I told my dad that I was going to, that I'd been fired (laughs) And that instead of trying to get another job, I was going to become a a real estate developer. He said, well, you know, that's really great. He said, but he said, I I hope it doesn't poison your attitude. And I hope that when you go broke, you'll be able to get back on your feet and try it again. And then when you go broke the second time, Mm -hmm. get back on your feet and do it again. So that's the other thing that I think uh, aspiring real estate developers and builders have to be prepared for is to have some hard times and uh, to go broke and to struggle. But, um, you know, for every bottom of the cycle, there's also a top of the cycle. Right. And if you just hang around long enough, you can figure that out and thrive. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great advice. Well, I hate to say it because I think you and I could talk all day, but we are running out of time. So how can our listeners get more information on you or how can they reach out to the Pacific Group if they want information on them? Reaching out to me is kind of difficult because (laughs) I'm out of the country most of the time enjoying myself. As you should be. (laughs) Yes. Um, But the Pacific Group is. It has a website, and I, so I think if you Google the Pacific, Pacific Group, Group, yep, you'll, you'll find them. It. Yeah, and um, and one of the other things I'll say is that uh, the Pacific Group is not really a, a retail mm-hmm. operation; it's a, a wholesale operation, and the folks that we deal with are all national builders mm-hmm. and regional builders and small builders. And that tends to be a relatively small group of people. Yep. And so we use our personal connections with these folks. And we also rely on outfits like the Greater Atlanta Home Builders Association. So <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Well, that is that is a good knowledge to have. Well, with that, this is a wrap of this week's Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio's All About Real Estate Edition. I'd like to thank Harold Cunliffe for joining me today in studio. 
And on behalf of our show sponsor, Denim Marketing, I'm Carol Morgan. Um, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, then please give us a positive rating and review on iTunes. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, then please reach out to me, carol at denimmarketing.com, and let me know what you'd like to talk to me about. And with that, I'd like to thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you right here again next week. Today's episode was made possible by Denim Marketing the publisher of Atlanta Real Estate Forum, Atlanta's favorite real estate blog, and source for real estate news, trends, new home communities, model homes, builders, and more. Denim Marketing is a comfortable fit, like your favorite pair of jeans. Denim Marketing tailors marketing strategies to meet your specific needs and niche. Try them on for size. They will work to create a perfect fit for your company's marketing program. Call them at 770-383-3360 or send an email to info at denimmarketing.com. For more information on Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio or to inquire about being a guest, contact info at atlantarealestateforum.com. Check out the radio show by visiting atlantarealestateforum.com or by listening to the show on your podcast or iTunes app. And if you enjoyed today's broadcast, we'd sure appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio Show.